here we go then, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Kings of Anglia Itches Town podcast, which is proudly sponsored by Ginger Pickle and Manscaped. Um, as you can hear, it's not Heathy in the host chair. It's Roscoe once again. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing very well. Um, another town win. Not a vintage performance, but another win. Uh, but do not worry. I am supervised by two fine gentlemen in Stuart Watson and Alex Jones as we discuss another win. Boys, it's good to have you on. Uh, Stu, let's go over to you, my friends. Great to have you back. You had half term off last week uh, down in Devon. The question to you, my friend, did you eat as many pasties as I did in Bristol last week? Well done for getting through the intro, Ross. I think yes. that was about take four or five. Yeah. Uh, we got there in the end. We got through a serious case of the giggles there this morning, but we made it. We made it through the intro and uh, I wasn't in Devon. I was in Cornwall. My That's wife would be, it's not the same, Ross. That'd be like saying Norfolk and Suffolk's the same. Yeah, you, you wouldn't, you'd, you'd bulk at that, wouldn't you? So um, they have very different different ideas about which order the jam and the, the clotted cream goes on. Um, I, had a, I had a very nice week, thank you. And I didn't have a single pasty um, this time. I'm not quite sure why, but um, how, how were your pasties in, in Bristol? I only had one, to be fair, so it wasn't that easy to beat. But um, it was nice. It was very nice. I um, I ate it in my hotel room in uh, Bristol, which was a lot of crumbs about. Uh, I tied it up. Don't worry. I did. I tied it up. Um, but yeah, apologies to um, your wife and Stu about the, the Cornwall-Devon divide. Um, I'll make sure to note that down for future things. Uh, AJ, great to have you on as always, my friends. Um, Halloween season is in your household. We found out in the last pod. How are you? <laughs> Uh, in the Halloween mood, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, the cat has gone. I don't know where the cat has gone. The one that was above my head on the last pod where I was uh, bringing my sleep deprivation on just after about an hour after getting back from Bristol. Uh, now probably know what the uh, Stuart Watson lifestyle is of getting to your hotel at you know, midnight and then working through until the early hours of the morning on your takeaways and then getting up uh, and travelling back. So... I guess it's, uh, I've done it a couple of times, but it's been a little while. Uh, nice to get back into the routine of things with the Saturday games, but a lot of a lot of fixtures coming up. And uh, yeah, I think that Stu will definitely be all the better for having that week off. Yeah, indeed. Refreshed and ready to kick on. Uh, a lot of games heading into November, boys. But um, let's talk about another town win. Uh, we're going to hear from Kieran McKenna, first of all. And uh, on the win himself. And then we'll get on to the first half and all that sort of bits and bobs. So let's bring out McKenna on the win. Let's do it. Given another three goals for your side, another three points. But um, you're very much in a football match today, weren't you? And it uh, pushed you all the way. Yeah, they did. Um, and that's what I expected, really, you know. I think you could see why both teams done so well last year. Two of the best teams, you know, maybe statistically in, in the division. You know, ever in League One, so you could see why it was, why it was, um, you know, two such good teams. It was a, a hard-fought game, of course, a, a big challenge for us when they score such a wonderful goal so early in the game, and um, we had to, you know, fight really hard for the points. So I think to come back from that position to be three-one up on ninety minutes, I think we've done a lot of things well. Um, but of course, there was there was other bits to improve, and that's natural. So yeah. Um, Really tough game. Didn't expect anything less. Um, I'm really happy to to have come out on top against them, having not managed to do it last season. Stu, wasn't a vintage town performance. Um, where do you want to start 
with this game. Um, you know, back at Portland Road after it feels like a lifetime ago. You know, we had the international break, then the extended international break, and we've of course had that away game at Bristol. But back at Portland Road, and uh, yeah, where do you want to start, my friend? Yeah, three weeks off from from uh, Portman Road, so it was certainly good to be back. And um, yeah, I mean, a brief summary before we really dig into it. This was Ipswich, not at their best, but still won the game. Still scored three goals again, and um, it's quite often said that's a sign of a good side, a successful side that you can find a way to win when when you're not playing at your best. And um, that was certainly the case. Um, we know Ipswich Town are a good side. Um, you also have to have a little bit of luck along the way to uh, to do well in the championship. And, and they certainly got a little bit of that at the weekend, rode their luck at times. I uh, don't want to overplay that because Ipswich have had things go against them. They've had some stonewall penalties not go in their favour. I think they've had more refereeing incidents go against them than for them um, over the last year or so. Kieran McKenna has been quick to sort of highlight that. But um yeah, maybe they cashed in on a on a little bit of that at the weekend uh, in getting this one over the line. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, AJ, let's talk about the um, the start of the game because the town could have been one up in the early starts. George Hurst, oh, if he could have scored that chance, what what way it would. Of course, we get our value for money at Porn Road, town fans and us <laughs> covering the games because <laughs> five goals again, goals galore. I think, Stu, you put a stat on your Twitter of like the amount of goals that have been scored at Portland Row in the last whatever games it is. Find that stat. But yeah, AJ, what a chance for Hurst early doors in the game? Yeah, I'm going to give it a go. Was it 23 and 7, Stu? Is that right? 23. Yep. I mean, that's fairly staggering numbers. Uh, good chance for him early doors. Yeah, I think it kind of gets flicked over to him and he just needs to get a bit of power on it. And I think he's a striker that definitely. Um, needs luck on his side. I think he's fantastic in what he does and he's a really good all-round striker and you look at the fact that he's um, been involved in six goals so far this season that's three assists as well and so much of his work is to do with kind of battling, uh, making sure he provides assists, all those kind of things. So I think that he's maybe not kind of that clinical striker that maybe you expect from that big number nine but was one where you've seen it a few times with him so far this season you just thought Oh, just get a little bit more on it. Like you think about the header at Huddersfield, where he just needed to get the power on it. That goes in, it changes the complexion of the game. Probably would have been, well, at least could have been a, a similar story here, where if Town got that early goal, then you're into a position where it totally changes the dynamic. But obviously, went the other way in quite some fashion. Yeah, Stu, do you want to do you want to talk about that? Um... Decent strike from Whitaker. We know we know of his um, ability and he's done well in League One. He's jumped up to the Championship, done well. But yeah, probably not a, a goal at Town Hall. Want to look back on fondly. Yeah, I, had that Hurst goal gone in, it could have could have changed the the complexion of the game. That was a nice little move, wasn't it? Um, classic Ipswich Town move up the left, cut back. Um, Chaplin sort of helped helped it on and. Um, yeah, if he just gets a little bit more and Ipswich go 1-0 up inside two minutes and we'd be talking about one of those barnstorming starts, Ipswich flying out the blocks, it not mattering about the team's changing ends, which we still need to dig into a little bit more, whether that was uh, we had another case of the team swapping ends, not quite sure who won the toss, whether that was Plymouth mind games, whether it was tactical because of the sun from, from Morsi, but it, that didn't go in and we didn't get that kind of... I think Alex turned to me and said, not quite the typical sort of Ipswich fast start that we've been used to here at Portman Road. And then that was compounded 
with Plymouth scoring a, a really good um, counter-attacking goal uh, after seven minutes. Um, I think it was Morse who, who gave the ball away. He had a he wasn't the only one who had a sort of off day on the ball. Um, unusually sort of Ipswich giving giving the ball away a bit too much and, and Plymouth have got that quality, uh, star quality to, to hurt you on the counter-attack and that's what happened. Um, the way sort of Whitaker stepped inside from the right and bent the ball into the to far corner with his left foot sort of gave me flashbacks to January when Barley Mumba rescued that, that point deep into stoppage time from a pretty similar position at the same end of the field. Um, without the aid of a slight deflection this time, that was um, a real piece of quality from Whitaker. Um, if, you, if you're being picky, could Ipswich have got to him a li- little bit better once he kind of steps inside Davis, who kind of just maybe overcooked his recovery run? Could Edmondson get there a bit quicker? Should there have been a, a holding midfielder there to cover a little bit more? I don't know, but sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, that's just a piece, a piece of quality. And and from there, Ipswich find themselves, not for the first time this season, um, having to come from behind at Portman Road. Yeah, and um, I'll take that point about them changing, you know, ends, because I think, yeah, Plymouth must have done that last season when they came to Portman Road, because I remember one would just score on that, that same goal um, in the, in that you know last minute equaliser, so yeah, maybe it was mine going to Plymouth. They they know that town's main stand is the north stand, so they want them to shoot their first half, and then second half is you know that way. So um, yeah, it could be, but something we will definitely look into, ladies and gentlemen, because I know it's it's happening a lot at Portland Road, um, and we'll find out if it's maybe a Sam Orsey thing sometimes, or it is mine going to the other team. Um, AJ, where are you at then when we were one nil down, and um, you know it's early doors, it's I think my sixth or seventh minute, so a lot, still a lot of game to be played. But yeah, where were you at in turn that first half, you know, going as it did? Frustrated by the way that Town struggled to fight back because usually if they're pegged back, it's immediately, right, let's go back at this and make sure that we get the equaliser. And I don't think it was for lack of effort. I think it was for the lack of quality. And there was a fairly big kind of gap in the actual quality, which was frustrating when you look at what Plymouth were doing. You look at the goal that they scored and the attacks that they were having. And it felt that town didn't have that spark. We've seen them cut teams to pieces when you look at what they did to Hull, what they did to Blackburn, what they did to Preston, just a handful of them. And it didn't seem to really work with this one. And it felt like a case where they ended up going in with quite strong tackles to try and turn the tide. And it was what they needed to do because when you don't necessarily have the legs to, to go and cut teams to absolute pieces as they have done. You need players like Brandon Williams, like Sam Morsey, like Luongo even, who were really going and getting stuck in. Um, Morsey, as Stu said, not great on the ball, but he was the one that when things were going against town was going to get stuck in with a tackle and make sure that if nothing else, they would get the ball forward and try and do something. It just wasn't coming off. Um, and we talk about pieces of luck and needing a bit of fortune, potentially, Let's say they definitely got that really with the uh, the equalizers. I think pretty much as the uh, first half stoppage time was being announced. Yeah, and we'll get on to that shortly because there's a lot of talking points on that one. But let's talk about the big one. The fridge comes back in, of course, boys, um, for Cameron Burgess. He came on for the whole city game, did really well, did well against Wolves as well. But um, Stu, let's talk about it because uh, it was a big talking point in that first half just before the equalizer. Uh, where are you with this situation? Well, just on the selection of, of George Edmondson to start with, um, 
the first time around, it was a surprise for that midweek whole game when he suddenly came in for Cameron Burgess. But Kieran McKenna, as he always does, articulately um, outlined why that was, that he, he'd selected him that day against Hull because he felt that Liam Delap was one of the strongest runners in the league and that he, he wanted maybe a bit more pace up against him rather than Cameron Burgess, who has been exceptional over the last 12 months, strong in the air. But if he's got one weakness, it's if he, if he can get him on the turn slightly higher up the pitch. That made perfect sense. And we saw that play out that day against Hull. Probably would have been a similar theory with either whether it was Ryan Hardy, who did in the end start, or whether it was Mustafa Bundu, who came on uh, in that first half because of an injury. They had pace in behind. And in Morgan Whitaker, they've, they've got a, a good player out on that right-hand side. So that was the thinking behind selecting George Edmondson. And I would say, on the whole, that, that kind of thinking paid off. I thought Edmondson had a, a decent game. I don't love him as, as the left-sided centre-half. I think he's a much better player on, on that right side. But that's how it is with, with Wolfenden kind of having that position. Um, yeah beyond that one moment just before half-time, which we may as well speak about now. Um, Ipswich, as we said, had had a frustrating half, really. Um, worked lots of good positions. Um, Amari Hutchinson looked to be the danger man. They were getting the ball to him a lot down the right-hand side, but was was being sort of well-shepherded. Um, um, they dealt with him pretty well. Um, credit to Stephen Schumacher, who brought in Mikel Miller. Uh, obviously, I think he, he knew that it was either going to be Hutchinson or Caden Jackson, so he brought brought in a sort of a fairly pacey um, left-back to deal with him, and, um, and it worked. And Ipswich were, were kind of getting shunted down the sides, lots of corners, couldn't make much of them. Plymouth could have had a second when Whitaker put a shot straight at, at the goalkeeper. Um, so there was a, a real sense of frustration heading towards those final minutes of the half. The crowd had just started to, who I thought, you know, responded really well to going, but goal behind, but the atmosphere had just started to dip a little bit. And then Plymouth get this this uh, nice little breakaway on halfway. Bundu, as I said, who'd just come on. Um Edmondson gets the wrong side. He's always chasing. And uh, as they reach the edge of the box, it's a bit of a desperate sort of lunge from behind, isn't it? Um, and I don't know what you boys thought. Well, you're, if we're being honest, what was what was your initial reaction in the moment? Forget all the replays and the slow-mos and everything now. I think everybody thought, well, we could be in trouble here, didn't they? didn't you? Didn't you when that happened? You, you know mine. I turned to you and said I thought it was a penalty. And in fairness, you were quite quick to say... I think it was on just on the edge of the box and he falls in. And I've seen a couple of different angles of it. I, it's one of those where I think you can kind of... It's almost the same thing to when you look at VAR is that you can slow down and look at different angles. They're just going to show you different things. And it's quite hard to kind of make your mind up on it. I've seen angles where it really looks like he's been brought down in the box. I've seen ones where especially when you look at it full speed, it looks like he's kind of just been taken down on the edge. He falls in. You see angles where it looks really like it's almost like a last man challenge. Is it really? Probably not. So if it's a case where he doesn't get the ball and it doesn't really feel like it, it's probably a, a yellow card and a free kick. But again, there's such a wide variety of things that you can have from that. Um, and Town, at the end of the day, got the, the best possible one. And again, it's a case of, needing luck but also yeah you make your own luck as well yeah I, I i always go on kind of initial reaction and live talk quite often when you slow it down and you watch it back things can can look worse and look different 
if I was a referee, I'd go quite a lot on sort of players' reactions at the time because I think that can tell a story and then the crowd's reaction. And I think um, if you're going to, if you get the wrong side as a centre-half like that, you have to, he may have got a sliver of the ball with his toe, um, but he doesn't change the direction of the ball. I think if you're going to come in from the wrong side, it's your duty. And I'm part of a centre-half's union here who loves a, a last-ditch tackle, as you know. <laughs> I think you've got to get enough of the ball to kind of deviate the direction of the ball to make sure the referee knows that you've won it because it's not really your right to win it once once the striker's got himself between you and the ball. Um, that said, it does look like he goes down quite softly, it looks like, which is bizarre because, you know, you've got the goalkeeper to beat by that stage. It was weird the way he's kind of planted his foot. If Edmondson's touch of the ball is minimal, so is, so is the touch on... Bundu's ankle minimal as well um, but live in real time it looked like a foul I thought it was outside the box and I did think the two covering defenders negated it being a kind of denying a goal scoring opportunity red card so free kick yellow card would have been my my view on it I think but for nothing to be given at all um, you wouldn't be happy if it was the other way around would you? Have you seen the Plymouth commentators on this? I was going around on social media. I don't know if either of you have seen it, but there's quite quite a strong reaction from them. I, I don't know if I, don't, I can tell Ross has seen it, but I don't know if you can remember any of the specific lines from it. I can't really off the top of my head, but I think was, that might um, be fake. I think that might oh, be is it? I think that might be one of because it is it's quite a northern commentator, isn't it? I'm not hundred percent sure. I've seen I it going around. I think that I mean, might be another piece of commentary that's been dubbed over the top of that one. Yeah. Oh, that's somewhat gutter. I've seen it being kind of floated around. I can't believe it. I've just like mythbusters this. But um yeah, I saw that one going around. I definitely know that the if nothing else, I don't think the Argyle fans were, were too impressed from that point on. No, and Stephen Schumacher wasn't impressed either. He he came in and said he was fuming about that. To be fair to him, he did say, uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure whether it was a penalty and, a, and or a red. It could have been, it might not have been. I don't want to see players sent off, but he felt it was a, a huge turning point in the game. Ipswich go and score um, soon after that, he points out. And George Edmondson in the second half does get booked, which for me, I thought was quite soft. I thought that he won the ball with with that one but argues that you know he would have been off then that's an if buts and maybe George Edmondson probably doesn't make that tackle if he's on on a yellow card already but he wasn't happy about that one um because he knows his side had had executed the game plan to perfection in that first half had scored the early goal had frustrated Ipswich they were so close to to getting into half time um ahead possibly could have been more depending on how that scenario had played out but they didn't and it ended up being it ended up being 1-1 yeah and yeah I will admit when I saw it in real time I thought oh dear George is in trouble here from my view I was like oh no and I turned around to another photographer and went how is that not <laughs> it, it was one of those wasn't it because we had Shawnee Aluko in front of us with the um, analysis team and um, you know Alex and I obviously kind of went oh made the sort of noises you do. And then Shawnee Aluko sort of turned around and puffed his cheeks out and raised his eyebrows as if to say, oh, might, might have got away with one there. It was, I think everyone in the ground probably turned to whoever they were with and had that sort of reaction at, at that moment. While you had Steven Schumacher on the touchline, just fuming, just go, what? you know, speaking to everyone he could find and even like looking at McKenna and go, how is that not? But uh, 
No, it wasn't. And uh, that turned the tide a little bit because we got the, the equaliser, as Stu mentioned. Um, and at a time, we didn't know who scored it because a lot of, there was a lot of different um, voices getting sort of said about, was it Massimo Luongo's goal? That was on the Tannoy. I think the club put Sam Morsey's gif out there. Um, but it was Bali Mumba, the former town, former town, former Norwich man, um, scoring the own goal, um, AJ. That was, uh, yeah, a moment of just... Chaos in that box, but it was Massimo, a little back heel, and then boom. Can I just say that I've had a, quite a few moments where I've mistaken Massimo Luongo and Sam Morsey, and I've tried to like argue my case to people, and I finally now got the perfect example where it. I thought actually in the moment I thought it was quite clearly the um, Luongo's back heel, and the club went with Morsey. I was like, oh, this is fine now. I finally got an argument to make my case of me getting totally confused. It's happened all the time. Um, it even happened at Bristol City where, do you remember when Morsey smacked the, the post? I was like, oh, it's such a good shot from Luongo. Then I had to quickly go back and change the live blog. And I've had that a few times this season, but I will get there. Um, this was chaos. We kind of, no one seemed to see it. There were overall in the press box, I think we were turning to about three or four different people and asking what went on. And strangely, nobody saw it. I think I was writing something. I think Stu was writing something. And all we see is a bit of a mad scramble in the box. I think Stu just about spots the back heel and then it kind of just deflects in. And it was a really bizarre goal. Uh, watching it back. So let's see if I can get this right. I think it's, yeah, the corner comes in, bit of a scramble there. Uh, and it's Luongo's back heel that ends up deflecting kind of on the, from an onrushing Mumba. Um seen a couple of angles where it looks like Cooper spills it. I think it's just diverted past him, wrong foots and uh, chaos, chaotic goal. But again, when you don't have the quality, really, when you can see that the players are, are feeling it in the legs and they're struggling in those kind of games, that's really the moments that you need. Um, and as you said, a defining moment in the game. And Stu, perfect timing, just going into half time as the yeah. cliche goes. Um, and yeah, I was, I was once again, just like the Edmondson thing, I was looking at other photographers like, do you know what happened? Do you know what happened? Like, what happened? What's happened? Who's got the goal? Who's got the goal? But yeah, it was um, Mumba, of course, scored the late equaliser um, last time out and he's now scored the own goal. Yeah, I think we were sort of going, well, I thought the rule was if, if the shot's on target, you know, the goal mm. gets given to, because they want it, they don't, they'd rather have people attacking players being credited with goals rather than own goals. And it's certainly on target because it's straight down the throat of, of Cooper, unless Bali Mumba instinctively kind of flings himself in the way. It looks almost sort of comical in the end. You'd be saying, great finish, great bit of instinctive centre-forwards play if it was if it was one of your own players. Um, but it did add to a little bit of Freud that it was A, X, Norwich and B, someone who'd been a bit of a nemesis for Ipswich last season, scoring in, in both those games. Um yeah, back hill, almost watching it back, it's almost like a donkey kick, isn't it? He sort of takes one touch and then really it's not just sort of a clean little stab back heel. He really has to fling, inventive sort of flinging of his leg backwards to to get that ball going towards the goal. So um, quick thinking from from Massimo. And yeah, if Ipswich were going to score in that first half, it was going to be from one of those corners. I think that was the ninth corner of the half. Um, hadn't made enough of them. Up until that point, we've been talking about them being a real threat from set pieces and adding that to their armoury un under McKenna. Um, they weren't really coming off up until that point. So, um, yeah, completely changed, I would imagine. 
the mood in both dressing rooms, if not the, the team talks. Stephen Schumacher said that it did affect his players at half-time. They would have come in feeling pretty good about themselves. That would have been a pretty simple, you know, keep it going as you were. Um, all of a sudden, I think maybe a few heads got lost in that dressing room and, and a big chunk of that half-time would have been trying to sort of refocus his players, whereas Ipswich could kind of, you know, think, actually, yeah, we've got a way with one to, to be level here at half-time and, and we're able to kind of go out and regroup and go again. The corners were slightly strange, I thought, because they were really going short a lot and it felt so easy for Plymouth to kind of just narrow down the angles and pick them off. And that was really frustrating because they had so many of them. And as you said, they've been such a threat. And to, to do that, it just felt like they were wasting so many chances with that. And there were quite a few bits in that first half that were going quite direct to uh, Hurst at times, which is something that's worked because he's very good at you know, being that physical striker, winning the knockdowns, setting up the counter-attacks. He was getting caught offside quite a lot and he was really getting marked out with the game at times. And it was really, yeah, you could see where things weren't going right. Obviously, it's a lot harder when you're on the pitch to notice that. And I think that potentially it was quite a simple fix where, I mean, I spoke to Leif Davis after the game and I know we'll hear from that interview in a bit, but he was saying all we did is we went in at half time. The manager got these things up on the screen and went, you can go here, here, here and here. And that's how you're going to be able to get through them. And as I'm sure we'll touch on in a second, that's exactly what they went and, and did after the break. Half time, I went downstairs and I saw Kieran Dyer, who was great to see him back at Portman Road looking so well again after his um, his recent operation and uh, chatting to him about the game. Um, he'd been in the director's box and he said Nathan Broadhead started to work this out. He started to work out that the space is inside because Plymouth had gone from quite an attacking formation. They'd gone... Uh, with sort of one one holding player, really. I think there was a bit of confusion from Plymouth fans to see um, Houghton, who normally is one of kind of two sitters, had, had dropped out of the team. And they played um, Finn Azaz and Kundal as kind of uh, two more advanced midfielders. And um, I guess their plan was to smother Morsi and Luongo and stop stop Ipswich's engine room working. And, and that, that had kind of worked. Um, but Broadhead had who always plays pretty narrow anyway, but I thought came especially narrow in this game and started to realise that that was the area that Ipswich could could hurt them. Um, there was a few times where then the, the, the outball to Davis wasn't used, and I think that's something that they um, they realised in the second half. It didn't have to all go through Hutchinson, and they started to utilise that that left side a little bit more. Definitely. Did um, did anybody see Broadhead's celebration when um, Massimo's goal? He was like, <laughs> just love that. I just love that from him. I think Broadhead just loves seeing goals go, and of course, especially his goals. But I just love that little clip there. You know, just him going, yeah, which is great. Good old Broadhead. Good old Broadhead. Um, but yeah, shall we talk about the uh, town going in front? Uh, now a fast start for town. And um, yeah, what's a ball from Leif Davis? Just does Leif Davis things, doesn't he? Just pings over. Hurst had to do still had a lot of work to do there. Um, AJ Hurst, but um, good finish, good ball, um, two one town. Came about maybe fifteen seconds after I was readying a tweet to criticise him, and I felt a little bit bad doing it because you don't criticise Lee Davis; he will make you pay. Um, and I I didn't tweet it in the end because the goal went in just as I was finishing it off, and it, it came after. What are you going to say? Bit, well. At the end of the day, the first half I thought was a little bit shaky in terms of A, his defensive side, and B, some of the passing. And the tweet was actually going to come after uh, a really big chance for, for Plymouth where it all comes from a back pass from him. It was just so weak, undercooked, and really poor, and it's just not what you come to expect from him. Um, 
even on his worst days, and we can say this about town in general, but even on his worst days, if he's able to come up with quality like that, my word. Um, given a little bit too much space down the left, but you do that and you're going to pay the price. It's a lovely kind of curled ball. Um, just realise that at the end of the day, you know, going inside and, and trying to play a, a counter through the middle, try and be slow and methodical. This wasn't going to work when he could see the space down the left and he knew that he could clip the ball, beat the man uh, and play Hurst into space. And then from there, yeah, definitely wasn't a case where where it was kind of an easy tap-in, for example. He still had to make the run, still had to kind of make sure that the defender didn't close him down. The finish is superb. Uh, I think one of those where you look at it and think, oh, it's fairly easy because he's just been played through on goal. Not at all. You really have to give credit to what Hurst did here because to get A, the power on it, really, really heavy hit, and B, to make sure that it goes into the opposite corner, that was a, a really special strike from someone where, yeah, as we kind of touched on, he doesn't always get things right in the perfect moments. I don't think he's that ruthless clinical striker, but when he does some special goals, we saw it against Sunderland, for example, the way that he got played in space, just needed that one chance, bang, goal. Um, took two chances really today, but oh, sorry, not today, but over the weekend. And, and with that, it was one hell of a finish. Yes, do. Thoughts on the goal, my friend? What a finish. No doubt about it. Leif Davis had been having a bit of a stinker up to that point. As I say, I think first half defensively um, wasn't at his best. As Alex said, in second half, there was a couple of moments where the crowd started to groan when he when he gave the ball away. Um, unforced errors. Um, but then it's a, yeah, a tones with, with an outstanding assist. We're used to seeing him very high up the pitch and cutting the ball back this time. It's from a lot deeper position and he's just bent the ball up that left-hand channel. Um, I don't think Dan Scar will be too happy watching that one back. He should he should really cut that one out. But once he doesn't, Hurst is there on the last shoulder, running in behind as he does. Um, yeah, cool clinical finish beyond Michael Cooper. And um, yeah, Ipswich needed that that goal at the start of, of the second half. Suddenly, you, you know, from Ips, from a from a bit of frustration, um, only what twenty minutes beforehand, heading towards half time, just shows you how quickly things things can change. An incident goes Ipswich's way, scrambled equaliser just before half time, and then not the best of starts to the second half, but they found themselves two one up. Yes, and um, we're going to hear from McKenna now about uh, Plymouth's chances, and uh, McKenna's not happy with his team. Let's hear what he's got to say about that. The bits to improve you refer to is that defensively today, too many chances conceded. You, you needed your goalkeeper to to come up with some big saves again towards the end. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, that's fair to say. I, I, I didn't I didn't love a right of possession game today, really, in in, in any phase, really. Um, so yeah. Um, Certainly something to improve on, and look, we've maybe six clean sheets in the league this season, so we we can defend well individually and as a team, um, but we give up too many chances today. So um, certainly things to to learn, things to improve on, and um, look, that's natural. We're a newly promoted team um, in the division. We're winning most of our games. If we didn't have any things to improve in the performance, there'd be you know be no point coming in on Monday. We might as well just turn up for Fulham. So um, yeah, that's. You know that's a positive. Um, we'll we'll take a lot from today against a good team who tested us in different ways. Um, in a game that came really quickly off the back of a tough away trip on Wednesday, there'll be lots that we can learn from today. And, and um, you know it's normal that we're not going to deliver perfect performances every week. And uh, yeah, uh, that's the bit that we can really get our teeth into. 
yeah, I think McKenna wouldn't have a job if um, <laughs> he didn't need to turn up on Monday. Just turn up and, you know, yeah, just yeah, just do whatever you want to do, basically. <laughs> but, yeah, um, should we um, praise the man who is just undroppable at the moment? And that is this man. That's love smooth. No, that is no. not. <laughs> What's that? No, no. That's the one. <laughs> Did I that call him Vav Club Smooth? That was the that was the translation for um, Slovakian to English, but he's not Slovakian. He's Czech. I, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But uh, shall we talk about him though, boys? Because he had to make some super saves. That's do. Um, yeah. Why don't you just call him Vag- Vasklav Smooth now from now on? Yeah. I mean, it was a smooth performance. So yeah. I don't know if that's a clunky segue into this, <laughs> but um, isn't it amazing that only a few weeks ago we were talking about, oh, it's a good, big decision here. What would you do? Let's start making a vote as whether Walton comes back in or whether whether Vaz keeps his place. Um, that's not even up for debate now, is it? Um, he has been... Ipswich is probably over the piece. Ipswich is best player. If you were sort of doing a player of the season vote right now, um, let's not gloss over the, the ball at feet part of this as well. He's clipping passes into fullbacks. He's he's doing all that great stuff with the ball at his feet, which we shouldn't take for granted. Um, we sometimes overlook that I think he's improved aerially as well. There were some nice strong punches through traffic. Um and and dealt with with some of that side of things, and then to cap it off, big saves at big moments. Um, after it had gone two one up, Plymouth really came at Ipswich in those latter stages, and um, several good saves. Um, the highlight of which was two really. One's a, a one handed stop from a, a firm back post, Dan Scar towering header back across goal at a corner, and a. Uh, he goes with sort of his, not his wrong hand, but it's his hand over the top to sort of claw the ball away. That was a really good save. And then moments later, ball deflects nicely into the path of um, Joe Edwards in the box after Plymouth had, had cut Ipswich open and uh, quick off his line, stays big, almost Schmeichel-esque to kind of that starfish shape. Um Turns his knee inside and keeps the keeps the ball out with his legs um, and got a standing ovation, rightly so. Um, he has contributed to uh, a significant number of these points that Ipswich have got on the board this season. Yeah, Mr. Smooth, that's his, his new name then, AJ. Um, mm. I know we talk about it. I feel like it's every week. There's a segment now on Vaz because he just he just brings up these saves week in week out, and he just he's as Stu said, he's you know saved us a lot of points this season. I think he's been the best goalkeeper in the championship so far this season. I think that might be high praise, but you look at the stat that's going to define that is going to be goals prevented. Um, he was top of the division going into the international break. Obviously, I think Hermansen, who was kind of up with him, but still away behind. I hadn't checked recently to see what the numbers are there. Um, look at the Joe Edwards shot that Stu mentioned that had an XG of 0.69. That is absolutely huge in terms of how likely that was going to be to go into the back of the net. So add that on to what he's already done. And he's absolutely saving Towns Bacon here. And I think there maybe is a side to that where you think, wow, if you've got to think maybe towards the defensive side, he probably needs a little bit more cover as well. You know, with goals flying in at Portland Road and he's still making these kind of defining saves. We've obviously spoken about the goals that have been let in at Portland Road as, as potentially a, a bit of a concern. Um, if he can have a little bit more cover, then I think that Town can become 
a really strong defensive side because you've then got a goalkeeper you know can, when called upon, prevent almost definite goals while also having the players in front of him that can just kind of limit the opportunities there. Um, it all seems to to fall into place and he's been absolutely excellent so far. There's no doubting that he's, in terms of individual action, he's been the biggest reason as to why Town are where they are in the league. And he's he deserving it, isn't he? You know, for him to step up and come into this. And yeah, big shout out to Vaz. Um, a lot of people have said to me now, you, you're going to have to now learn, Ross, how to say his name properly. Mm. But as we now know, it's Vazlav Smooth. So there we go, boys. Um, I would say uh, he's he's played his part. Ipswich have got, wouldn't have as many points on the board as they do without him. But uh, the reason they are where they are is because of the goals that they score. And They've ultimately scored three goals in this match, again, at home. And people keep saying, is this sustainable? Well, if you've got the goal threat that Ipswich have got, then why is it not sustainable? They scored three in this game. They could have had more as well. Hutchinson had a good chance where he he chopped back in the box and saw a shot deflected just wide. Um, Hurst's big opportunity early on in this game. Um, that's the, it's, it's the goals that Ipswich are scoring that, that's put them where they are because you know that if, if you do have the odd off day where you concede, you can still outscore teams. And McKenna's right to, to point out they still have had six clean sheets this season. They can defend. They can keep goals out. Um, it's slightly sort of intriguing, weird stat that the clean sheets are happening more away from home. They're getting a lot of these one nils away from home and and the goal fests at Portman Road. So you'll, you'll, I've seen a lot of opposition sort of fans and, and maybe some Ipswich fans as well questioning, is this sustainable? Um, why not? I think Ipswich have shown they can do both both sides of their game. Um, it, this isn't just been a sort of a flash in the pan scoring these goals. This has been happening for 10 months now. We're averaging sort of three goals a game, I would say, at Portman Road. It must work out at now. So... Um, when you've got the belief that you can score those goals, then, then you know it doesn't. It doesn't. You can play that sort of brave, open brand of football, and and you might leak one or two at times. I like it. I want to. I want to have. I want goals, and it also helps my hot take for every goal in every game. So keep doing what you're doing, town. Just keep scoring. Um, keep clean sheets away from home. That's not too bad. Um, but yeah, keep scoring. And um, we're spreading the goals about as well, aren't we, boys? Because uh, we have three different goal scorers on the weekend. Obviously, the other one was an own goal, but Mass will probably want to claim it still. Um, but yeah, the substitutions helped again, AGA. You know, five of them. Uh, let's talk about them because uh, Jack Taylor ca- came on for Massimo. Kane Jackson came on for Amari. Uh, Harry Clark came on for Connor Chaplin. Marcus Harness came on for Broadhead. And Scarlett came on for Hurst. Um, yeah, thoughts on that? Yeah, I think with three of them, with, with Jackson and with Scarlett, it was always going to be a tough game for them to come into, given the position that Town were in. Um, they were kind of the later subs there. Scarlett, especially, I feel a little bit bad for him because I know he's kind of had a little bit of flack there. And it's important to look at the times he's been brought on at. And often it's it's been when Town are trying to see out wins or they're already in a comfortable position. He's not going to have loads of time on the ball. I think if you added his total touches on the pitch. This might be one to have a look at, but his total touches on the pitch since joining town, you're probably going to be under maybe 60, I'd say, in total. Um, I think he had maybe seven over the weekend, um, and that seems to be quite a recurring theme with him. So he will get a chance. 
and that's when you need to then judge him. But I wouldn't kind of jump to any conclusions with him at the moment. The two standouts were obviously the ones who came on first. Uh, I thought Taylor was really good coming on, uh, a nice composed figure in midfield. Um, just when they needed someone to link up play and, and also to help in terms of transitioning on the counter, really, really important. Marcus Harness every single time, fantastic. He's just the ultimate super sub and he's not kind of that, well, let's say he's not that kind of Caden Jackson player where you bring him on and he has searing pace and, and he gives tired opposition fullbacks absolute nightmares. But he's such a kind of, he's really, really good at dribbling for starters. The way that he can take on players, not necessarily with, again, this searing pace, but with a lot of skill, beat his man, make sure that he slows down play when it needs to be. Um, and he gets into the right positions. He's a very, very intelligent footballer. He's a versatile footballer. He's everything that you want to have off the bench. And for someone that we spoke about as potentially maybe a bit of an expendable player in the squad and in terms of could he be shifted to bring in someone else in terms of the squad numbers, I think that he's pretty much as valuable as anyone in that kind of first choice 11. There's a lot of love for Harness with his goal to make it 3-1 for Towns do. You know, a lot of love for McKenna, um, for all the players. I think all the players did their, their normal quotes and things on Instagram, you know, saying, oh, this are so happy for this lad scoring the goal. Maybe they didn't say lad because that's that's not a, a Sam Morsey thing. To say. Yeah, I don't know why I said that. But um, yeah, a lot of love for Harness because, yeah, he's, he's stepping up and he, he's scoring some goals now, isn't he? He is, yeah, and he was one back in the summer that myself and a lot of people thought might have been in danger of leaving. Said that before, you were looking at the the players that were competing for those those forward positions, and he he looked well down the, the pecking order. But um, there was a reason that he featured in virtually every game last season for Ipswich, either as a starter or even after Broadhead arrived, he was always getting minutes off the bench and. Um, yeah, in his first real proper season at Championship level, he's he's playing his part as a man off off the bench. Um, as Plymouth were kind of pushing for that equaliser after Vaz had made those saves, left some gaps at the back, and uh, it was a Sam Morsey kind of driving run through the middle of the pitch. Um, Leif Davis, who never seems to tire, sort of with the overlapping run. Um, yeah, trademark Ipswich goal cut back into the box. Um, I think it left left foot shot blocked straight back to him, just passes it in with his right foot. And what was that, 86 minutes? We've been talking a lot about reactions to moments in the game. That was a kind of few relief. Well, that should be done, you know. Um, and it wasn't quite um, as it turned out. 3-1, having that should really have sort of taken the sting out of Plymouth and then Ipswich should have just sort of game controlled and managed that out to a quite comfortable conclusion. But such had been the nature of the way Plymouth had played, the way Ipswich had maybe looked a little, little bit fatigued, just off the boil for whatever reason that is, whether they'd lost a bit of sharpness over, over that extended break, whether the sort of the, the midweek trip to Bristol clinging on at the end there, the long journey back had all fed into it. Um, it didn't have its same, the whole performance, in general, but, you know, those last five minutes didn't have that usual kind of calm, confident control about Ipswich. Um, um, but but thankfully, they did just have just enough to, to get it over the line. Yeah, just enough. But AJ, squeaky bum time in stoppage time as uh, Plymouth 
Got a goal back um, by Joe Edwards, their skipper. And um, yeah, where were you at when that went in? You, did you feel, oh, this could be, yeah, this is going to be difficult to maybe <laughs> to win this game in Plymouth. That they're going to keep going, keep going. I didn't when the goal went in. I was more frustrated that I kind of got everything sorted on the report, and I was like, oh no, not again. Do more with the that. That's always the journalist nightmare. Is any sort of stoppage time goals and you've got everything formatted. It's a bit frustrating. Um, but yeah, I think it was more. I didn't really expect that kind of strong reaction from Argyle, which was maybe a little bit naive, to be honest. Um, I think Town probably did because. They were the ones on the pitch who saw how strong and determined that they were. And I think that there's a lot of similarities between the two teams in terms of the fact that they're not going to kind of lay down and die. I think that even if they were a couple of goals behind at that point, they'd still be fighting, knowing that all it would take would be two quick counters with quality and they'd be right back in it. So definitely felt that towards the end. And it's probably the first time really that we've we felt that... Um, in terms of, well, you have the Bristol City game, definitely there to an extent um, with the way that they pushed. But even then, I thought that Town's game management, albeit that it was made hard, it was pretty good. Um, McKenna likened that one to the Sunderland game at the start of the season. Similar kind of thing in, in a lot of ways. But again, you felt that there was a lot of composure there to see it out. Um, this didn't really have that same feeling as she said that there was a bit of caginess there and you could kind of sense that if they had maybe a couple more minutes that our goal would have had the time to turn the screw um but given kind of the external factors going on with it i i don't necessarily think it's anything too concerning and when you look at it in the grand scheme of the season it's not a massive worry when you look at how they've been grinding out these results in the last few weeks mckenna wasn't happy with that second Plymouth goal at all not acceptable you don't you know you don't often hear him talking in in those sort of uh with that sort of strength um about goals and um he did have a sort of slightly I don't know how I'd describe his demeanor in that that post-match he didn't quite have his usual kind of um upbeat smiley self I think he knows that there's quite a few things to iron out from from that performance and he wasn't happy again he talked about I didn't like anything about us out of possession in that game um the second goal against was unacceptable um and then they were trying to do the right things with game management people like Jackson kind of taking it to the corner but it all felt a little bit tentative and nervy and trying to do the right things but wasn't done with kind of an air of, of confidence when the ball was being taken to the corner. And yeah, when that goal went in, I think probably most people in the ground went, did you see how many minutes went up for stoppage time? I'd kind of missed the moment the board went up. I don't know if they'd read it out by that point, but that was 90 plus one when the goal went in. Um, there was six minutes added on. Um, there wasn't one last chance for Plymouth, thankfully. But um, yeah, it did bring back sort of memories. I think a few people have said of that Charlton game of the 4-4. Same and, weekend as well. Um, was it? Exactly. Oh, there you go. So um, maybe that's a marker that Ipswich have sort of progressed from there and they are able, even when they're not feeling sort of uh, on top of it, that they can they can still see it out. So uh, look, the overall takeaway from this is, as we've, as we've said at the very start, far from at their best, but yet still scored three goals and got three points. And... Um, you know, finished off a, a perfect week and a perfect month. Indeed. And as you mentioned, Stu, earlier um, about the, the phrase that puts out there, 
sign of a good team is being able to win when they're not at their best. And that's what town was. Um, let's hear yeah, from said that. Huh? <laughs> I said that. I know, that's what I said. That's what I wanted to repeat it. That's a good phrase. Okay. Um, just, yeah, just wanted to say it again. Um, but let's hear from Lee Davis. AJ, you spoke to him. Um, let's see what he had to say about the win and getting one over. Argyle. Leith, it feels like uh, town maybe don't do normal wins at Port Roads. Goals galores every time. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, good game to be a part of today. Um, I think last year we won't obviously get a one over on them kind of thing. So you see, they obviously scored the last last minute equaliser against her at home. And obviously beat her away at their place. So it felt good to to get the three points and help get the three goals as well. Yeah, obviously, maybe not the ideal way to start. You would have known a lot about Plymouth. You've been involved in these games before, and I guess it wasn't going to be a massive surprise they came on to you in the way that they did at the start. Yeah, um, they are a good team. That's why they came up with us as well. Um, they've got some very good players. Um, as you see in early doors, they went 1 0 up with a, with a great finish. Um, but yeah, they're a good team, they're a very good team, but I think we. We, we we weren't at our best in the first half as well, I don't think. Uh, but we still created a lot of chances, which we should have been obviously ahead a bit more. Um, but yeah, it's, at the end of the day, we got the three points, no matter however it was. It was. There we go, Leif Davis. Um, didn't have the best game, but still got some assist, didn't he? And um, yeah, three points in the bag. And Stu, 50 league wins now under Kira McKenna in just 82 games. What a stat that is. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? I think um, we're getting a bit blasé about sort of all these wins coming and how good these stats are. It feels like we went through a sort of a, a period of kind of furiously digging out all these record-breaking stats. And I bumped into somebody at the gym this morning who was an Ipswich fan, just said, oh, me and my mate said to each other, oh, it's, getting, it's almost getting a bit boring now, just winning every game. And I hope that attitude, I, I can see where people are coming from, but... People can't get too sort of blasé about this. This is really, really special when you've got to soak up everything about this because this this calendar year has just been, to use a Mick McCarthyism, bonkers, isn't it? It's um, What, what did you say? 50, 50 wins, 50 league wins in 89 Two. games? 82 games, which breaks, which is faster than Robson, Ramsey, the lot. Um Crazy. I don't really know what more we can we can say about it, really. Yeah, just just put on this repeat, you know, just repeat, aren't we, AJ? You know, you must be enjoying this, my friends. You know, what a time to, you know, come in for your first season, and um, yeah, these these wins keep on happening. Do you ever think about, let's say, in terms of defeats that I've seen for Town since I've come in? So I joined in kind of July time, um, and I've seen in pre-season we saw two on the same day. That was horrible. And then we've seen none in the Carabao Cup and we've seen one in the league. So overall, since I've come in, I've seen three defeats. Two of those are in pre-season. Um, draws maybe three or four off the top of my head. The Luton game, the De Bremen, uh, Huddersfield. I guess we have to count Reading in that. So that's a fairly remarkable record. Adding in then you know the way that they formed in pre-season. I know that it kind of gets brushed under the carpet a bit, but you've got to bear in mind that was still a, a rusty side that wasn't maybe taking the games as seriously. And look at He's what they were doing there. Exactly. But they still went and they, they came against a, a very strong 
RB Leipzig side towards the end of that, and they were winning those kinds of games as well. Winning breeds confidence, and they keep doing it, and they keep building this cushion up. I know that, you know, let's not go too crazy on the league table, but when you look at how things are at the moment, you look at the game in hand, all those kind of things, there's just so much positivity, isn't there? There is. Um, Stu, any other business from from the game itself? Um, you know, another packed crowd, which is just is what it is. Bourne Road, it's just every yeah. game is going to be packed. Again. Yeah, taking that for granted, aren't we? Twenty nine thousand. Yeah, twenty nine thousand again. Mm. I was going through some up behind me here. You've got, I've got this big old box here. Was when we left our office many many months ago, and it's got loads of old newspaper cuttings. There was a headline on there from about I can't remember. It was around twenty fourteen, I think, saying about time to. Um, lure back the 10,000, the missing 10,000 from Portman Road that had dwindled away. And um, they've certainly done that, haven't they? It's uh, it's a hottest ticket in town. I've got those. Uh, it's worth just reading them out, isn't it? 3-4 three, three, against Leeds, 3-2 against Cardiff, 4-3 Blackburn, 3-2 Wolves, 3-0 Hull, 4-2 Preston, 3-2 Plymouth. That is the last seven games at Portman Road. Um, it is the place to be right now. Um, other notes from the game, I think a few people have kind of pointed out that maybe uh, the last couple of games have reminded people of the importance of Wes Burns to this team and the role that he has in it. Um, Jackson starts against Bristol City, Hutchinson starts in this game, both good players who have a lot to give to this team, but the bespoke nature of this formation with Wes Burns playing high and right um, maybe we underestimate what he does defensively. Someone who has played right back in the past, right wing back, does that defensive work, gets back, wins headers from crossfield balls, um, is is on that sort of wavelength with the cutbacks and everything with with Connor Chaplin. Um, yeah, we've, we've we've praised Jackson and Hutchinson a lot, but Wes Burns is the you know is an integral part of this side, and maybe a bit like when Sam Morsey was out of the team at Huddersfield, it's you you only really sort of notice that when they're when they're not in the side. So that's probably something to to point out from this one. Um, but yeah, uh, I think ultimately it's just one that uh, they'll be relieved that that they've kind of got got the win from. And as Leif Davis says, it's uh, one that I think. They had a little bit of extra motivation going into this one. We've talked about McKenna's little little mind games, almost sort of Michael Jordan-esque, just finding little ways to kind of get yourself up for certain scenarios, whether it's, you know, I think he's done that, reference that a lot, like Sheffield Wednesday, where we, we haven't been able to beat them yet the last year or so. So, we you know, we need to win this one as a little bit of a progress marker. And I think similar was, was said again about Plymouth, not just because of the two games where you remember really played quite well, should have killed them off down at home park, um, conceded a couple of late goals from outside the box. Then Christian Walton has a header tipped onto the bar late on the home game here with Barley Mumba's late goal. And then obviously Plymouth going on to to pip it, switch to, to the title. Um, I think all kind of fed into, as Leif Davis says, them wanting to, to get one over Plymouth at the weekend. And uh, Sheffield Wednesday won a game, which was a uh, red mm. Fair play to, to the Alps. Um, AJ, any other business from, from you from the game? Um, just, yeah, league table is looking looking interesting. Yeah, I mean, the league table is the interesting bit, I suppose. Yeah, when, when you look at the gap that they have, it's still nine points. I think that there are four teams that look like they're the strong ones, and it's Town and the three teams who came down from the Premier League last season, which for starters is absolutely 
baffling. Three of you came down and one of you came up. Um, there was an interesting tweet that I saw from Will T1969 one. Obviously, Will T1969 was taken, so fair enough. Um, who kind of went through and did the maths on this, working on the assumption that 92 points gets us automatics. We only need 58 points from 33 games. That's 1.76 points per game. Town are currently averaging 2.62 which means that a run of 17 wins, seven draws, nine defeats would get them to the 92 points. Um, with Leeds projected to get 82 points, that would then just mean 13 wins, 10 draws, 10 defeats. Um, you can do the numbers till the cows come home, to be honest. But I think that, again, they all kind of point towards one direction, which is the fact that Town have gotten themselves into one hell of a position at the moment in the sense that um, they've got the, the buffer there and that's what they need to kind of maintain and keep going because they will have tough runs. Uh, everyone, as we kind of spoke about before, everyone looks at December. I think it's also important to look at some of the games next year where they have a lot of travelling to do and there will be points where they find things hard. And if they can maintain this cushion, then you're still challenging everyone else every single week. Come on come cut the gap, come do it. Um, at the moment, that's not an issue because Town keep winning their games. So for now, that's that's the biggest priority, I think. I think there might be a bit of an attitude. I think, um, what's the phrase you used in a preview recently? The uh, What is it, in the tree? Um, elephant in a tree. Elephant everyone's, in the tree. Everyone's stood around waiting for it to fall. They all think it's going to fall. They all know it's going to fall. And it's just waiting for it to happen. Yeah, I think I heard that with Arsenal. It was gone. Everyone wondering how the elephant got there in the first place, and they were they're waiting for it to <laughs> to fall out. Um, and there might be an element of that. There'll there'll be a different mindset this season. Ipswich were the, there with the team to be shot at, and teams coming and parking the bus, and there was an expectation that they should be up there. This time, it's kind of flipped on its head a little bit, and certainly you're seeing sort of fans of people like Leeds and Southampton going, oh, they won't be able to keep it up. And and maybe they'll be able to kind of channel some of that, what Plymouth had last year. You know, that was the knock on Plymouth second half. Oh, they won't be able to maintain it. Oh, Cooper keeps them in most of the games. A bit like the conversation we're having now. That's not sustainable. They won't keep coming from behind to win games. They won't be able to keep outscoring teams at home. Um, and Plymouth did. They just refused to go away. And... Um, I think the reaction from Ipswich fans at the end of last season was just relief that they're finally back up. I don't think there, anyone was that bothered that Plymouth had beaten them to the title and fair play. But I think that does rankle with a few of Plymouth fans still that, you know, all of the plaudits were Ipswich are the best team League One has ever seen. And, and you'd probably feel the same thinking, well, hang on a minute, we won the league. So um, all of that went into the game at the weekend and maybe Ipswich need to channel some of what Plymouth had last season, that sort of almost underdog spirit. They might need to sort of talk that up a little bit as uh, as teams maybe, because I think teams will adapt now. I think they'll start to maybe show a little bit more respect, certainly when they come to, to Portman Road. So there'll be a few different puzzles for Ipswich to sort out. We talked about at Titan, you know, they missed Morsi at Huddersfield, missed Burns a little bit in the last couple of games. You know, it only takes an injury or two to change the dynamic. Can this kind of style of play be as effective when the pitches start getting a bit heavier, things like that. So there's a few questions and challenges ahead for Ipswich, but the bottom line, as Alex said, is the platform is there now. They've given themselves a cushion and it's hard not to look at the table from last season and go, I think Middlesbrough lost Middlesbrough lost 15 games last season and finished fourth. 
So it tells you sort of what the margin of error is that you can finish in in that top six. And we're, we're not really in the early stages anymore, are we? We're quarter of the way into the season. So, um, yeah, it's looking good, boys. Looking good indeed. What an October as well. Four wins out of four. Of course, we had the Rotherham game in there as well, but we won't get onto that, boys. We won't get into that. That's still still very raw, that. Um, but uh, shall we talk quickly about the, the championship at all? We saw two managers get sacked. And now Kieran McKenna is now the fourth longest-serving manager in the division, which is madness. Um, Mark Robbins is the longest-serving with six years and seven months. Stephen Schumacher is the second-longest with one year and 10 months and 23 days. Ron Lowe is one year, 10 months and 23 days. And Kieran McKenna is one year, 10 months and 10 days um, as of this piece I'm looking at. So, which is just, it's mad, AJ. It's just mad. Um, who got sacked over the weekend? Of course, Gareth Ainsworth did at QPR and uh, Nigel Pearson at Bristol City. But yeah, it's, it's sacking season, my friend. It's mental to think that Mark Robbins is the only manager to have been uh, championship club for more than two years. That is probably the standout from that. Um, Ainsworth was one that was coming. I think we were fairly astonished it took as long as it did. Uh, but with the connections that he has at QPR, uh, maybe not a surprise. And I think it again, one of those where fans were desperate for him to leave, but he leaves with a sense of he is a good guy, potentially a slightly strange guy, as we've seen with we all remember the, the video. Yeah. Ross knows that this is why you subscribe to the video, guys. You get to see see Ross doing the dance. Um, That was baffling. I think that he's definitely one where you look at the talent that QPR have, and they should be nowhere near the relegation zone. Ilias Chair, look at Armstrong, you look at uh, Willock, for example. They've got a fairly impressive backline, things like that. Um, Bristol City. With Pearson, one that I think we kind of see him coming, and I think some of the comments that he'd made to the press going into the, the game against town in terms of I've had no guarantees about my position here in terms of his contract probably spoke volumes of the way that was going. Um, I think he's done a really good job, and it's an exciting one for someone to take on because they've got a really, really young squads so if there's someone who can kind of harness the potential that they have there, look at someone like Sam Bell who caused town huge amounts of issues and then kind of developing players like that um, in a club that has a really nice kind of infrastructure around it and a nice stadium and, and a high ceiling. That's definitely a, a big job. But for Pearson, I think um, one where it comes as a surprise in terms of, well, I assume it's, it's a sacking, uh, but given their performances and their league position, not, not really to be expected, but obviously he's got quite a lot of health issues there. In terms of uh, the, the back issue where he's uh, been on crutches and a neurological issue he was talking about going into the town game. So um, interesting to see who comes in with both of those. Uh, I think QPR are going to go for Neil Warnock as the one that's being <laughs> touted uh, because he just can't stay away. Uh, a few names linked with Bristol City. Uh, I think Dean Holden is the one that, uh, well, he's obviously, I think he's been there before in terms of a brief spell, but he's the one who's been linked uh, interesting to see Gary Rowett linked with that. Don't really see that happening, given that his uh, family are kind of based around the Midlands, and I, I think he'd like to go back there. But uh, interesting to see what what route they go down with uh, with that one, because there's uh, a lot you can get out of that Bristol City side. It feels a bit like the Mick McCarthy end of days situation at Ipswich, with kind of 
if they don't respect the job that if that I've done here over a long period of time, bit of an old school manager feeling a bit unloved that his contract situation was up in the air and having to kind of face questions about it all, all of the time, a bit of a split amongst Bristol City fans, a lot sort of saying, you know, I saw there was a nice tweet from Pearson, a string of tweets this morning addressing the fans and a lot of, I think a lot of ultimately a lot of respect towards what he's done at that club, but ultimately on a, a bit of a shoestring budget, they've had to obviously sell sell players and, and work on sort of frees and loans and things. So it'd be interesting to see what, what happens with them next. But on my reckoning, that is 19 managerial changes since the start of pre-season across the 92, which is 20%. One in five have already changed manager already. And this feeds into what Mark Ashton has been saying that Ipswich's super strength, their superpower this season will be their stability. Um, and that's proving proving to be the case at the moment, isn't it? I think that there is a lot to be to be said for that. So, um, yeah, and we're not even into November yet. We're not even into the, the heart of sacking season. So I'm sure there's going to be a, a load more to come over the next month or so. Could it be those up the road? Mm. <laughs> them um, on the weekend. Um, but enough about them. It's um, another game for town this week, though. Uh, on the 1st of November, we are now going to get into November, which is madness. Um, Carabao Cup action. Boys, we're in the last 16 of the, the competition. Uh, we're taking on Premier League Fulham. Um, so, uh, Fulham actually beat Norwich in the previous round to get here. I think they beat uh, Spurs on penalties also to get to this round. Of course, town had to beat Wolves last time out. Um, coming from behind twice. Um, so, yeah, Fulham in the last 16, they drew on the weekend 1-1 with Brighton. Um, how are you feeling for this one, my friend? Um, pretty laid back about it, really, because I think that sounds like a weird thing to say because we're getting into the, so the deeper stages of the competition and it's a great opportunity, as you say, to get into the, to the quarters and then who knows... Um, if the draw goes your way and what can happen there, as we saw with Ipswich back in 2011, getting to the, to the semis and facing Arsenal, should be something sort of really excited by. But it, to me, it sort of feels like a nice little sideshow to the to what's going on with the league at the moment. I imagine um, it will be 10, 11 changes again, um, given the sort of the, the fixtures that are coming up. Obviously, the Rotherham game rearranged in, in there, the game's coming thick and fast. Um, so a similar challenge to to the Wolves one, really, in that Fulham are a side that have kind of yo-yoed between Prem and Championship, um, kind of stopped that pattern last year in finishing mid-table under Marco Silva. Multi-million pounds worth of signings across that squad, lots of, you know, hundreds of international caps in there but the same was the same was true of Wolves wasn't it um last time around and, and Ipswich found a way to win that game um yeah an, another big challenge but at Portman Road at the moment with the momentum and the confidence and the feel-good factor that's going on why not why can't why can't Ipswich go and win again yeah AJ you up for the cup my friend as I said Stu mentioned you know if we win we're in the quarterfinals the last eight <laughs> which is just madness. Um, and yeah, changes will be happening. That's what McKenna does, rotation. But that's why this squad is, you know, got great depth and players come in and, and they do well. Uh, yes and no. I think that there's, I mean, look, you can't deny the kind of excitement around it because it's a, it's a big opportunity. And even though it feels like town 
being in the Premier League, at least in the near future, does not feel like at all a far-fetched thing. Everyone would love a trip to Chelsea, Man City, something like that, a really big tie. That being said, especially looking at when the quarterfinals will take place, um, Stu mentioned this to me and I then realised I had the week booked off, which is a slightly mm-hmm. terrifying thought as well. Um, but it comes in the middle of a horrid run in December where pretty much they'd go away to Middlesbrough and then have Watford on the Tuesday night. And then they'd have Norwich as the Saturday 12.30. Then in between Norwich and Leeds would be the Carabao Cup game. Who knows what that could be? Man City away where you'd probably need to put out a fairly strong team to avoid getting absolutely slaughtered. Um, then they'll go to, to Elland Road and then the Tuesday after that, they're hosting uh, Leicester before playing QPR. I think, again, just a few days after that. That is a lot. Um, you want to go through. You don't want to lose games. And it's what they always try and stress. But it's definitely one of those where if you're going to take the positives from going out of this competition, if town do, um, that's going to be the biggest one is it allows them a, a big chance to focus on on the, the league and trying to maintain that cushion. Then as well, looking at Fulham, they went strong for their game against uh, Norwich. There's a lot of big players that started that one. Jao Palinha, um, Iwobi, Willian, uh, Cameron Bassey, um, Issa Diop, all those kind of players that were uh, ended up getting involved in that one. So you'd imagine that they'll probably bring a, a fairly strong side into that, but they'll also maybe have an eye on the fact that... Um, they host Manchester United in a 12.30 kickoff on Saturday. Flip side to that, 14th in the league, probably a little bit too good to go down. I don't see them threatening to go much higher than slap bang on kind of top half kind of stuff. This might be a nice opportunity for them as well. And Marco Silva thinking it'd be nice to go deep into a competition to, to make up for a season that could be fairly bland. I've never understood why clubs in that sort of position, like you say, Fulham shouldn't be probably won't be in danger of going down, aren't going to be challenging for Europe or anything like that. I know there's millions of pounds attached to every single place you finish in the Premier League, but why clubs like that don't give it a real go in the in the League Cup? I've never really understood. Um, as you say, they did go reasonably strong against Norwich in the last round. And as much as Ipswich are looking at this thinking, cool, this is an opportunity. If you're Fulham, they'll be thinking exactly the same because... We've got Mansfield versus Port Vale and Exeter versus Middlesbrough in um, in some of the other ties. So two of those will be definitely through to the next round. And um, yeah, if you're somebody like Fulham, you might you should be looking at this, thinking this is an opportunity for us potentially to go and get to a to a cup final, which doesn't doesn't happen very often for for many clubs. Um, certainly in this era where the the big six or so kind of dominate. So. Um, yeah, a challenge for it, which I would say, especially with lots of changes. But we've we've seen that lots of changes doesn't necessarily affect what what Ipswich do. In in previous years, when Mick McCarthy, for instance, made 10, 11 changes, it could make for a bit of a a disjointed look to things. But the way they train under Kieran McKenna and the the way everyone just sort of knows their roles seems to be pretty seamless, and they they can seem to roll out similar levels of of performances. So. Um, I think one to enjoy fairly stress-free tomorrow night. Um, if they win, amazing. If they don't, I don't think it will take us too long to kind of shrug that off and, and move on. 
Wednesday night, Stu. Wednesday, sorry. <laughs> don't tell don't tell people to turn up at Portman Road tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not getting used to this Wednesday thing now. It's, it's yeah, what strange. You, uh, quick turnaround for Saturday because yeah, as AJ you mentioned, Fulham have got Main Road at twelve thirty, and of course we head to Birmingham on Saturday. So mm. some quick turnarounds, but uh, no, enjoy it, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy it as what it is, and uh, we shall see if Town can progress. Um, well, boys, any other business? Uh, a very good pod, a long, long pod. We're literally getting into a full 90 minutes of football right here in this podcast. But any other business, Stu, from you? No other business. All right, fair play. AJ, any any from you? Keep enjoying the ride. Love it, love it, indeed. Uh, now it's time to do the, the outro of outros. Um, thanks as ever for tuning in. Um, of course, shout out to our sponsors. Uh, first of all, Ginger Pickle for your SEO needs, your marketing needs, Google ads and all that sort of stuff. Check out Ginger Pickle, Tony Southgate, and the boys will help them out. I think he's uh, recruited a, a third person to his team. So uh, they're growing there. They're growing at Ginger Pickle, so check them out. And also Manscaped, use the code CALWAY. You get 20% off and free delivery for all your below the waist. All the other bits and bobs, your ear, your nose, your beard, and all that sort of stuff. Check them out. And um, also, why not get some merch? CALWAY mugs, hoodies, uh, hats. Bottles, all the other bits and bobs. I think there's mouse mats as well. So if you want to spice up your your office, get a mouse mat with KOA on it. Um, there we go. Uh, enjoy Fulham if you're going. Uh, if you're not, uh, follow the coverage with the boys and myself. We'll be there. Thanks again for tuning in. And uh, see you next time on the Kings of Anglia History Town Podcast. Mm-hmm.